Lord Jesus, what, what an honor it is that you have invited us to be a part of your family forever, and that we can sing a song like that in full expectation that one day our faith will be made sight, and the things that we currently believe in and read about and expect will be right in front of us. And in that moment, Lord, we will behold your glory and your power and your majesty and your holiness in ways that today we can only imagine. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that we learned about last week. Grace that intercepts us on our collision course with death and offers us a new path, a new road forward for our lives here and on into eternity. It's by that grace that we stand here today, worshiping you, celebrating who you are, partaking of communion together and remembering what that means. Lord, we give you all the glory uh, in this moment, and we pray that even as now we open your word and we think about your holiness and how we seek you, not just in a mundane way, in a human way, in a scholarly way, but we recognize you are glorious and unimaginable in your your might and power and purity and we seek you in that knowing that um, you're so far beyond anything our minds could fully comprehend so give us lord just a little ounce of that comprehension today as we think about your holiness and then how you call us to be holy as well in jesus name we pray amen well that is our theme today holiness. If you're following along in the workbook that we've been doing as a church or you're in a life group, you've seen, um, you've seen how the concept of holiness is not just something we sing about. It's something that's very real. It's something that actually defines who God is. And I wonder if you think this phrase would be appropriate. If I was to say to you, holy humanity, would you say that humanity is holy? Now, think of this for a moment. Um, when God created us, he had a purpose in mind. He had a special use for us. Above anything else in creation, he infused us with the opportunity to be like him, to be in his image. And yet, obviously something has gone wrong because when I say holy humanity, you in your heart and I along with you say, no, that's not, that's not what I see. Now, think just for a moment that kind of help us define holiness, other things that we call holy. Some of us are holding one right now, the Holy Bible. And why don't we just call it a Bible? Like, what does the word holy mean when we say Holy Bible? Well, the word holy means it's set apart, it's special, it's different from other books or even other Bibles of other faiths or something. It's, it's holy, it's something we esteem, it's something we recognize... Um, is not just the words of a human being. When I was in India, I saw holy cows. Uh, some of you who've traveled, maybe you've seen these. It's quite a way to brand your cattle. The, uh, when, when I was there during a particular festival, and the sacred cows were out in great number, and they were on the streets, and they were all painted like that, and it was really colorful and amazing, and you had no question about like which cows were sacred or which weren't, because... They were very definitely set apart from the average beast of burden. Um, if you were to go to Europe, you might enter a holy cathedral. And in that cathedral, you would be stepping into something that people treat as hallowed ground, something that people see as set apart from the ordinary, and they 
by their architecture and by the, by, the, by the spirit they cultivate in their facility, they actually want it to feel holy, like it's set apart. It's not something that could be used for anything other than worshiping. Okay, we talk about holy matrimony when people get married. We say, well, there's a lot of different ways people relate to each other. People can love each other as friends, as brothers and sisters. We can all say we love each other as a church family, but holy matrimony is a different type of love. It's set apart from everything else. It's special. When you think about when Moses encountered God at the burning bush, and what did God say to him? Moses, remove your sandals from your feet because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Um, It wasn't that the dirt or the rocks or the sand were special. It's that because God was there right nearby, it it kind of changed changed the environment. And now all of a sudden it's a sacred space. It's something that can't be used. It can't be treated flippantly. Like when we take communion, the same, same principle, we would say this is This is a holy moment, a holy remembrance, not something to be done lightly. So why can those things be holy, but humanity can't? Um, What is the problem with holy humanity? We were created in God's image, so if you were to look at the definition of being holy, set apart, devoted to good, defined by what's good, that's certainly where we started, to be a holy people, called by God, created by God for a purpose. Well, sin, of course, as you know the story, was a defilement of human holiness. It was sort of us forfeiting the glory that was assigned to us, that God had made us to represent Him, to, be, to, to share just a little, a little sliver of His light and glory and holiness. But we took that incredible gift, that incredible opportunity, and ruined it through sin. And so ever since then, we, we might look around and we would see humanity as filled with potential, but also frustrating because it never gets there. And we look around and we kind of know that things ought to be different. We know that we ought to be different, but we're not. We know that we should be holy, but we're not. Now, last week, we learned from Dell that God's grace is when He does for us the kind of things we can't do for ourselves. And I look at the restoration of holiness as essentially what grace came to offer us. That there's no way for you in and of yourself, and there's no way for me to reverse what's been done wrong. There's no way for us to reclaim holiness on our own. People try, but really in principle it's kind of silly because it doesn't doesn't work. There's no way that you could do something good that would somehow counterbalance whatever was wrong and now you're holy again. No, you... You're no longer set aside for something special. You've, you've defiled the image of God when you sinned. And so it would take something supernatural to fix that, not something that you or I could gin up in and of ourselves. All right, so we'll come back to that in just a second. But as a definition, kind of a working definition of holiness, uh, I like to look at it this way. Uh, holiness, as we've said, is to be set apart for something special. It's to be defined by and devoted to what is good, and to be totally separate from evil. So you could look at that definition and say, am I holy? You say, well, on part one, I suppose as far as potential is concerned or purpose, yes, I was made to be holy. Am I defined by and devoted to good? Uh, Maybe not quite as much 
Am I totally separate from evil? No. I'm not holy. Not in and of myself. But God is holy. When I think of God's holiness, I think of sort of the blazing sun in the sky, like bright and powerful and overwhelming. And, and here's this incredible orb of light and, and power that would, that would you know, consume you if you were to stand next to it. That's kind of how God's holiness is. He's so pure, He's so right, He's so just, He's so awesome that you can't even come near without being, first of all, filled and then eventually consumed. Which kind of leads me back to the idea of what our role is in all of this. We know the Bible tells us to be holy. And I kind of think about what a light bulb is. If you think about it, a light bulb is sort of like a baby sun, right? It kind of does the same thing as the sun. But just when you're kind of impressed with a light bulb and go, wow, that is kind of bright, if you were to hold this up next to the sun, it would get consumed too. It, it, it mimics the sun, it does what the sun does, but in such a tiny way as to be almost imperceptible if you were to compare the two. But you would say, yeah, I guess, I guess a light bulb is, in a, in a way, an illustration of us called to be holy as God is holy. And you say, well, I'm, I have no way of being holy like God. He says, well, I want you to bear my image. And, and so in a very small way, like this light bulb has some glory, it has some radiance, it has something emanating off of it. You and I were made to be like that. But sin turned out the lights. Ruined the whole story. So, just to kind of think of de- defining holiness as, a, as light. There's this brightness, this blaze, this projection of purity and perfection that emanates from God or as a result of His holiness. True holiness is an awesome, radiant glory. You could almost say the glory of God is the holiness of God. That's why He's glorious. That's why when you would, in your mind's eye, kind of imagine coming up to the throne, maybe it's sort of some blinding light there. The light isn't just because they crank up the lumens in heaven and they've got spotlight shining on you. It's because God Himself is the light. God is so holy. And so you can read in Revelation 4, uh, that this familiar scene that we sing about frequently, we just did a little while ago when we sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's this picture of these living creatures, these angelic beings flying around the throne of God and chanting this, singing this all day, all night, because it's, it's sort of like there's no way to properly categorize or to ever finish saying how glorious and how holy God actually is. And so it says that they cover their eyes and, and they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. And whenever the living beings, these angels, give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who is forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship sitting on the throne, the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before his throne and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So here's the holy, amazing, incomprehensible, powerful God there on his throne. These angels are singing, Holy, holy, holy. 
And in the scripture, we get this short little command, which we're going to look up in a few minutes, where God says to us, be holy as I am holy. You say, I'm kind of starting at a disadvantage here. I don't even know where to begin. All right, now here's a couple things we know about God's holiness. Thomas Watson said it this way. He said, holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. It is the name by which he is known. That is, as Dobney then puts it, holiness is to be regarded not as a distinct attribute. It's not that God is holy and he's a bunch of other things. No, holiness, you could almost say, is if you were to add up all the moral characteristics of God and say, what is all of that? Say, that's holiness, that's glory, that's the light, that's the brilliance of who God is. That's the beauty of who God is. And anytime someone says that they're taking an action for the glory of God, the right way to define what they're saying would be that this is dedicated to, to be holy, free from evil, defined by and devoted to good, set apart. So I want to work for the glory of God, or I'm singing for the glory of God, or I'm eating and drinking for the glory of God, whatever it might be. You're declaring that to be sacred, to be holy. Say, well, that all sounds great, but we haven't solved our first problem from the first question I asked you. What do we do about the fact that holy humanity doesn't seem to exist? Well, we can't do anything, but God can and God has. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at these three passages to kind of construct an answer to the question of what we do about the fact that we aren't holy and yet our very identity calls us to be holy. The purpose of our lives is to be with God, but as long as we aren't holy, we can't be anywhere near Him. God in His grace offers us a path forward. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says that God's will for us was to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So when Jesus hung on the cross, it wasn't just a symbol of God's justice. God was actually making right all the wrongs of all all the violations of the law that humanity had ever accrued and offering us now through this one sacrifice the opportunity to be restored to holiness. In essence, to turn your light back on. Verse 11. Under the Old Covenant or you could say the Old Testament. The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Verse 14, For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And right there in that verse, it sets up this tension that you're probably feeling now. I feel it too. That here we are talking about holiness and that we're supposed to have a shining light as, as sort, of a, a sort of a little you know, embryonic version of God's amazing holy light. And yet, I don't feel like I'm holy. And even when it says Jesus has made me holy, I still look at my life and go, That's, uh, my week wasn't holy. My hours don't feel holy. It seems like there's a lot of things in my life that aren't devoted and defined by good. There's a lot of things in my life that aren't separate from evil. What do I do with that? Look to Hebrew or look to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
This kind of calls back to memory the, the story of when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law and to speak to God. And you remember what happened to Moses when he came down from the mountain? People were all kind of blinded by his presence because God had been so close to Moses that it was as if he was, you know, sort of like that fluorescent paint that kind of gets charged up when it's near the light. And here Moses is actually radiating so much glory from God that people couldn't look at his face. Like that physically, people were having to stand back because Moses had been so close to the holiness and the power of God that people can't see in completeness and even live through it. Here's what the text says, verse 7. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? In other words, if the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the laws etched on the tablets, if there was so much glory attached to that as to sort of make people stand back and be blinded by the light, can you imagine now the new covenant coming in with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God himself among us, what that should do, what that should mean. It says in verse 9, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all when compared to the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? And I love what verse 18 says about our role in this. It says, so all of us who have had the veil removed, that is, we're no longer hiding this, the glory of God, we're seeing God face to face, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into his glorious image. And so you look up in the sky and you see the sun and all the glory attached to that. And then you look at your own little light bulb and you say, you know, in a small way, in, in just, in just the, the smallest of humble ways, God is transforming me into his image, which was the image I was supposed to be bearing all along. And, and as I walk with Jesus and as I learn what it is to live the holy life that he's won for me, my light starts to shine even brighter to the world around me. So you could think of yourself a little bit like a light bulb in a dark room and saying, maybe that's the purpose of my life, to shine the glory of God. It's not goodness inside of me that makes me shine. It's the power of God inside of me that turns the light on. Okay, one last text. It's in First Peter. And this is where that command comes that sounds so simple on paper until you realize what holiness actually is. And then you think, how would I, how would I even begin? Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He writes, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You, you didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For as the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. 
So it's kind of like we're caught between two realities here, right? The fact that based on Hebrews, we have been made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, you don't have to burn off any more sins. You don't have to atone for anything. Jesus has already made you holy. He's turned the light on. But then you're looking at your daily life and going, well, I'm still being made holy because I wouldn't raise my hand and say, I'm perfect. And I wouldn't raise my hand and say, yeah, in, in every way that God exudes moral excellence and, and he radiates morality, that, that's me too. No, we'd say, I'm far from that. I have such a long road ahead of me. And so... In Jesus, we are made holy, but we are still being made holy. So I thought I would leave you today with a few ideas on how to live your life for the holy glory of God. What would you do if you said, I realize this is part of what God has prescribed for me. This is, in fact, my identity. God, since he created the first humans, has always intended that we would walk with him and shine his light and reflect his glory. And he even invites us to partake of his glory forever. So this is who I am. What am I supposed to do to walk that road? So here's the first. Believe what God has said about you. Now this is hard to do because we are all living in our own experience of daily failures and frustrations and temptations. And so we kind of know that It wouldn't be right to say, well, I'm already holy. Here's what God says. In 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, which was filled with sin and really messed up, he he, he talked about how they were identified by their different kinds of sins. Some of you were immoral, some of you were liars, some of you were thieves, some of you were drunkards. But he says, that's what some of you were. Now, you've been cleansed. Now you've been made holy. Now you've been justified by the name of Jesus. Now your life, your identity is different. You aren't defined by the sins that once bound you anymore. You're actually defined by holiness. That's where your life is going. You say, well, I'm willing to believe that. But I know there must be more to that story because that job isn't finished for me. My My position with God is holy and forgiven and righteous, but the practice of my life hasn't fully caught up to that. Here's the second thing. Ask God for the grace to walk in daily holiness. We looked at this verse briefly last week, that it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then listen to this part of the verse. Who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins in order for what to happen? Just for us to be forgiven? No. But so that he could win for himself this people that would be his very own, eager to do good, defined by good, devoted to good. Holy. Jesus died on the cross to make you holy. And his grace is going to teach you how to live that way as long as your heart is humble, as long as you keep saying yes to him. Okay, and that sort of leads to number three, which we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about how to repent. That, that there's this old way and there's this new way of life. And, and, Hebrew, or, and, and uh, Ephesians tells us that we have to put off 
the old way, which is being corrupted, and put on the new self, the new identity. And, and in the text, it actually says, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is your identity. This is who you're supposed to be. Holy. Okay, and then the fourth thing to take home is to start devoting all of your activity to the glory of God. Because when you realize that the glory of God is the radiance of His holiness, the projection of His purity, you start to realize that when I dedicate an activity to the holiness of God, to the glory of God, it in effect makes that activity sacred. So you wouldn't look at what we just did here in communion and say, this was holy communion and now we step outside of the moment and go back to something else. And say, no, every moment is holy if it's devoted to the glory of God. Every space is sacred if you walk in it to the glory of God. Any, anything you eat or drink is holy if you're doing it for the glory of God. The, the principle is that every aspect of your life can be defined by holiness. Everything you do as a holy person can be set apart for God's special use, separate from evil, devoted to and defined by what's good. And so that's the challenge, to recognize that Jesus has already done the hard work for you. He's already won the victory here. All you have to do is walk in the victory that's been won. Walk in the holiness that he provides to you. Walk in his grace. Here's a verse to encourage you as you go today. You are a chosen people. Priesthood. A holy nation. God's very own possession. That's you. That's not talking about other people somewhere else or the super holy out there. This is you and me. We are actually chosen by God to be holy, to be his people. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So let's pray. Lord, it's amazing to us that you think about us at all to begin with, and that even in the midst of your blazing, powerful holiness, and how far away from that we are, you still would stoop down and care to pick us up, to redeem us, to offer us a road forward, to make us holy when we didn't earn it or deserve it, and there's nothing we could do to make it happen for ourselves, but you would reach in and turn the light on, and then you would guide us and teach us and patiently instruct us along the road of daily holiness, every day becoming a little bit more like you, so that when people see us, they actually see a reflection of you, they see something that reminds them of you. They know something's different about our lives, and it's not coming from within. It's not what we have ginned up. It's actually your power and holiness at work. And so, Lord, we thank you today for the amazing truth that Jesus died to make us holy. And we also ask for grace as we are being made holy with each challenge, with each temptation, with each decision point that we have, that we would choose you, that we would choose to walk the road of holiness and shine that glorious light brightly, first because we love you, and second because we want the whole rest of the world to know you for who you are, 
And it's our job to bear your image to this dark world. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go in God's grace as you continue to seek him this week.